So excited to start off our interview today. I'm with Isabel Liu, who is an artist and a public health researcher. And y'all cannot see her, but I can. And she is surrounded by super cool art. So I'm so excited to get to interview her today. So Isabel, can you start off by introducing yourself to us and just tell us how you got involved in exploring food inclusivity? Sure, thank you. I'm really excited to be here as well. Um, yeah, so my name is Isabel Liu. I, like you said, am primarily a visual artist and public health researcher. I am a first-generation Chinese-American, asexual and gender non-conforming individual. I got interested actually in nutrition when I was a high schooler. Um, one of my mom's friends gave me a book called The China Study, which is written by Dr. T. Colin Camel. And it talked about like food as medicine and how like food can really impact your health. And I kind of got interested in, in nutrition in that sense. Um, I was like a pre-med for a little bit. But I, when I finally got to college um, at Cornell studying nutrition, I kind of realized that most people don't have access to healthcare or a doctor. And like, even if you do, the most time you'll ever spend with a doctor is like maybe 30 minutes a year. And so that wasn't really, I felt like the best way to like impact um, populations in terms of like helping their health through food. So like I got interested in public health and made my way down to UNC Chapel Hill to do my master's in public health. But again, like I, I just felt like there was a lot of the cultural or like the community aspect of food that like nobody really really talking about in academia and research. Even though I was like in research spaces that were like quote unquote like community engaged or like health equity, it was just a very like privileged academic space. And around that time was like COVID times and like then all this like anti-Asian hate crimes. And it really started me, making me like reflect on like me as an Asian American individual and like the foods that I grew up with and the foods that like people either made fun of me for eating or like I just like never felt pride in or I just felt shame with. And I realized like especially for a lot of BIPOC and like people of color and like immigrant communities, a lot of like how we like feel connection with each other is like through food. I don't speak Chinese very well and like I don't have like a lot of family here and like I don't like have the land to go back to in China. So it's like how do like I connect with like my parents and how do how are they able to connect with me when there's like that cultural and generational barrier. Um, and that's really through food. So um, I think I got interested in like really delving into like nutrition policies that would be more inclusive um, culturally, so relating to like food access, especially, but even like the ability to like access land to produce your own food um, and these ideas of food sovereignty. And I've like gotten a lot of like knowledge and my inspiration from a lot of like black and indigenous um, food activists like Karen Washington, Leah Penniman. But yeah, that really made me start thinking about like food and food inclusivity um, as well. And then I've also been like a painter my entire life. So like now I'm trying to move into a space where like I can like incorporate art with um, food as well. Yeah, it's super cool. I completely agree that one of the best ways to genuinely engage your community is through food. Um, so we talked or you touched a little bit on your education at Cornell, but I'm interested. Um, do you have a specific story or some sort of summary of your experience with school meals growing up? 
Definitely. I feel like most Asian kids have like that story of like opening your lunchbox and it being smelly and people like making fun of it. I distinctly remember in like middle school, that's when I was like actually still bringing like Chinese food to lunch. I remember like, I think it was just, it wasn't even that like smelly. It was like a, like a spring roll or something. And like one of my white friends was like, she was like, what are you eating? And I was like, it's just a spring roll. And like, she was like saying this and like looking at me like while she was eating like some sort of like processed cheese. I mean, I think I definitely felt a lot of shame in like what I was eating compared to, you know, like everybody else eating like Lunchables or like the school pizza. So I um, definitely started like buying into the idea of like what is like normal and what is like healthy or what is okay socially to eat. Um, and I think that's probably why I got interested in nutrition because it was like a very, it was very much like the same perspective of like a white male institution telling you what is like good or bad. And a lot of like what is quote unquote good is like Western food. Oh yeah. And that privilege in academia definitely carries over into the societal stereotypes that we see, even with food, which is always so odd. But what have you found to be some of the benefits of including more culturally relevant foods in school, kind of building off of your past story. Yeah, it's like, I I really like that I study nutrition because I got a lot of like knowledge out of it, but like it's very much like annoying because like the way people talk about food and nutrition is very much clinical in the sense that like food is like there to serve your physical health and that's it. Nobody really talks about the other reasons why people might eat food, which is like community building, solidarity, or just sharing space with other people and feeling connection that way. So like inevitably, you don't eat food just because it's like healthy or like it tastes good or something. You eat food because like it's a tradition or like there's like shame or pride tied to it. When you're like growing up, especially in that impressionable age, like between like five to like 18, you get like a lot of like social pressure to like fit in. And if there aren't culturally like relevant foods in school, it just like breathes in the back of your mind forever that like this is like not acceptable or this is not healthy. And that can like lead to a lot of shame about your identity and who you are and where you come from and who your people are. But also like in a sense of like, there's a lot of knowledge and science and history and like expertise that we can like learn from different cultures from their food and to like couch like health in like the Mediterranean or like the Western world and their food and like cast everybody else's food as just purely cultural is also I think not great so I think in terms of just like incorporating more culturally relevant foods, I think we should also like incorporate the education about like the health of that food or like the the knowledge and like the practices that mostly like women have done um, with those food cultures as well. So um, yeah, no, I think it's just extremely important. Oh yeah, and I completely agree with you. I think that like you said, there is a health benefit to having those diverse foods. And so when you only prevent them on culture day, then you lose all of that no, it's not just a cultural food, like you said. It's a regular food that you need. So I completely agree. But what kind of work are you doing day to day today? 
Yeah, so I I do have a day job. I, I do communications at University of Chapel Hill with a research group. I am also one of the 2023 Emerging Artists in Residence at Artspace in Raleigh. So that's a one-year program. My artistic work has been exploring identity, culture, and history through food. So like bringing in that like nutrition aspect into it. I did a residency last year at the Durham Art Guild um, where I interviewed three of my Asian American friends and got their stories, their histories, and their relationship to food. And we kind of co-created these concepts together and I painted them. But also from like an academic standpoint and my background, I feel like I was always taught that like the way you communicate and like explore or like research things is like through verbal or like written work, Um, doing a survey or like saying or how many miles somebody lives from a grocery store. But it's like, that's so like deductive, just like not how people live. Like, I don't remember the last time I filled out a survey and I thought like to myself, oh yeah, I definitely got like all of my thoughts out and like those like five questions. I just felt like as for me, art has been my way of like communicating ideas and like understanding how other people feel um as well maybe that's just like how i am but i feel like the more i um engage with this work the more like i found people who like felt the same way so that's encouraging so i felt like art was my way to like um explore these ideas of identity and food and like less of this um clinical way of like looking at food and also i've been like looking and researching more on like traditional chinese medicine and how more eastern and indigenous and black history and cultures have gathered knowledge about food and use that as their way of like healing people that the west just like either disregards or like actually just sees as like pseudoscience And I just find that like very limiting and almost like naive for the Western nutrition world to think like they they have like everything down as like a science in like the past like 200 years, while like other cultures have been like studying this and like gathering knowledge for like literally thousands of years. So it's I think it's it's good to like look at both and have options to see it from both perspectives. But that's my artistic work. And then me and a few friends, we want to do like an oral history project um, where we interview and like gather oral histories from Asian American people in North Carolina, center around this like idea of like wellness and joy, incorporating aspects of food into it, and then hopefully allowing those people to like co-create a mural design with us, and then hopefully installing that mural on like an Asian-owned business. Because another thing is like, I'm from North Carolina and like we just don't have like that historical like physical community where we can like feel connected so I feel like mural making and like place making and those sorts of like projects and engagement like would really help that. Oh yeah and that makes me so glad that you brought up the art aspect of what you do because I think what we've kind of come to realize with our food wellness podcast is that food and some of those other not tangible, not quantitative aspects of a culture are really the biggest empathizers. And so I'm so glad, I think your oral um, history grants are all gonna go through and it's gonna be fantastic because those are the kind of things that we need, not just the Thursday in March where you have spring rolls at lunch and your teacher tells you not to complain about the smell. Like 
those real conversations are what's going to make a difference. So that's super cool. I'm so glad that you came to talk to us today. Everything that you shared was super relevant and super helpful to the development of our podcast. So yeah, thank you for talking with me. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. This episode was produced by Ella Jones, Bevlin Oka, and Kirsten Blackburn. Editing for this episode was done by Kirsten Blackburn. The Teens Talk Wellness podcast is supported by the Farm to School Initiative at the Center for Environmental Farming Systems and the Farm to School Coalition of North Carolina. Thanks to generous funding and support from the Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation of North Carolina, Teens Talk Wellness is able to support the professional development of our student podcasters. You can learn more about Teens Talk Wellness by visiting www.farmtoschoolcoalitionnc.org slash program slash student dash wellness dash project.